Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Raindance Media. Raindance offer a range of digital marketing services, SEO, web design, pay-per-click advertising, Google Ads, and Facebook Ads management. Rank your business on the first page of Google or build your business's online presence with their range of digital marketing services. Raindance are a boutique agency only taking a limited number of clients. Get more traffic, acquire more customers, grow your business. Don't get left behind online www.braindance.net.au Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Hear the Voice podcast. Today's guest is Jasper Pittard from the North Melbourne AFL Men's Football Club. He is a fantastic, genuine character. He takes us through his journey from growing up in inner city Melbourne, also sharing some living down in Torquay, being drafted to Port Adelaide, Coming back to Melbourne to represent North Melbourne and all things in between. He's such a great person and tells a terrific story. I really hope you enjoy it. By the way, stay tuned near the end of the chat where he speaks about his fondness and love for new coach, Ray Shaw, which gives you a great insight on what's happening currently at the North Melbourne Footy Club. I really hope you enjoy it and thanks again for listening. Welcome to Hear The Voice, mate. Thanks, Rod. Good to be here. Uh, all my guests have been in isolation, and I've started every podcast with Where Do We Find You? So you're no different, mate. Where do we find you in these current pandemic times? Um, I'm in my bedroom, which looks slightly more spacious than your wardrobe that you're currently sitting in. <laughs> um, but, you know, I live in in Brunswick, so uh, houses are small. So I, I have to say that your wardrobe's probably nearly the size of one of our bedrooms. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, just being at home, mate, you know, doing the right thing. Uh, I've actually gotten pretty used to life in this situation. And um, there's certainly some aspects of it that I think I'll even miss when we, once we get back into normality. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's actually been all right for me personally. Well, before I give a bit of clarity on why I'm in my cupboard, so or walking robe, it's uh, it sort of acts like a studio. It's nice and quiet in here, and there's no secret to the kids that are in my house. I have four of them, and they're pretty ratty, so I can get away from them in here and uh, <laughs> and have some decent chats. So that's the first thing. Second thing, mate, what are those particular things that you've been getting used to, and and that you may miss in isolation uh, when we come out of our uh, our lockdown rules, if you will? Um, well, I've been able to just focus on some, some of my off-field stuff, which has been really nice. Um, and I think, I think I've been able to put the kind of energy into it that I just don't think I would have been able to if we were in the normal swing of the season. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll never know, but um, I've been able to do a couple of really, uh, a, a good job of a couple of really good assignments that I've, you know, I'm quite proud of. So, um, I just, I'm just imagining with, you know, recovering from games and then, um, you know, the scrutiny of the season and getting home a bit later, probably the effort required to do a good job of some of these things I probably wouldn't have had just going on sort of the past, my past experience. So I feel good about that. And I'm hoping with this opportunity to kind of focus on those things that it'll teach me to be able to balance it better with um, when we're back in the footy. Um, and yeah, so other than that, um, 
I think just it's been a bit of a chaotic life style for me coming back in the last sort of year and a half. It, really enjoyable, loved every minute of it, but pretty busy um, just getting back to Melbourne, obviously traded to North, new club, pretty much going to throw myself at everything and all opportunities and not really saying no to much. So it's been nice in that regard to have a bit of a step back and um, chill out a little bit. Yeah. Um, having said that, I'm, I'm definitely probably at the, the wit's end of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, spending just some quality time at home um, with my girlfriend, you know, probably we've both been really busy in the last year. And even though you live together, sometimes you, you're not even really spending too much time together, if you know what I mean. So yeah, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, main, mainly just the off-field stuff and being able to put some good energy into that. I know that you are heavily involved in studying graphic design and your girlfriend's name is? Grace. And what does uh, she yeah. what she do? She's a secondary school teacher. So it's been, been a bit of a tough period for her. Um, yeah, for sure. Navigating through online teaching and, you know, been pretty difficult for the students all across Australia, no doubt, having to, to get accustomed to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, for the teachers, I mean, I already knew teaching was a tough gig. My, my dad's a teacher. Um, my mum's done some teaching uh, and Grace has been teaching for five years. So I've seen what it's like firsthand watching them all come home and report writing time and all that. But um, I probably or I probably already never thought, I thought I'd never want to be a teacher. But after this period, it's like, geez, <laughs> I, uh, I don't envy some of the work Grace has had to put in. Um, but she does a great job and, um she's hung in there so yeah it's, but it's been good to just be I suppose a bit more involved in each other's day-to-day lives yeah that's cool and uh i echo those sentiments mate our primary school teachers that have been looking after the kids and actually i have one in high school um their online facilitation has been really good we can't fault them um so yeah i uh give grace a, a high five for us when you when you see her or if you're trying to avoid her at the moment i'm not sure what you're doing <laughs> I will after this. Let's let's go back to where it all began for you, Jasper. So you you nearly started to allude to some some of the things surrounding the trade in North Melbourne and getting back to Melbourne. But you're originally a Geelong boy, um, and was it Torquay or St Joey's or both that you were having a run around with when you were growing up? I'm actually originally uh, a Melbourne boy. Um, this is right. something that I. Uh, consistently have to clarify i grew up in brunswick until i was 16 but my um my dad and my stepmom uh lived in torquay uh they moved down there when i was about nine okay um so i spent my i think probably like under 10s to under 14s i was playing for two teams i was playing for fitzroy juniors um which is brunswick street oval in um in fitzroy uh i was playing for them one week and torquay juniors for another week so because uh, I was spending every second weekend down in Torquay with um, with my dad and my stepmom, um, so that that was good. But it it got to a point where um, dad sort of said, you know, I think you should commit to one team, and it was it was hard, I guess, sort of assimilating into Torquay to a certain degree because I wasn't going to school there. I, I literally only knew these kids through footy, but I, and I was only playing every second week, so it took me a little bit of time to sort of feel a part of that. Um, and then it was, as I got sort of got to under 13s and 14s, 
I think Dad just thought it'd be good for me to sort of play with one team. So I played a couple of seasons at Fitzroy. Then I ended up playing, I played one season for Flemington as well in the WRFL. Yep. And in, and this was a period where you start sort of going through um, the under sort of 15s Tap Cup and under 16s Carnival. Uh, and I, I was with the Cold Cannons. Yep. So I did the under 16, 15s and 16s Cold Cannons. Um, and yeah, it was, so that was a year 10 at the start of that under 16s year. And that's when I decided to move down to uh, Torquay with dad. And I sort of swapped to Torquay um, and played under 18s that year um, as a 16 year old. Um, and yeah, sort of transferred over to Geelong Falcons the following year. And um, yeah, I, I didn't do much in the tap cuff in my bottom age year. I think I played four games. Yeah. Um, very skinny. Um, yeah, very skinny, raw, um, you know, a bit of ability, but yeah, not that consistent or anything. Uh, but I actually got a really good opportunity to, to I started the U18s as a bottom major um, and ended up playing the majority of that year, Torquay Seniors, other than the four games I played at the, with the Falcons. And that was awesome. We ended up playing in the grand final. Um, we got pumped, unfortunately, but um, got to play in senior grand finals as a sort of 17 year old. Um, I felt really a part of it. The, the senior boys really um, took me under their wing. Um, took me on a. <laughs> they took. I went on an interleague trip actually with a few of the boys. Kind of got the call up and I ended up pretty much having one of my first real piss ups on the way back from that and got dropped <laughs> off on the doorstep. I think I'd passed out on the bus. So I don't. <laughs> Dad, uh, Dad and my uh, stepmom and Del <laughs> weren't too happy about that. But, you know, got to do what you got to do. Um, but That's yeah, part, then, of, part but, of growing up. Yeah. Um, I vaguely remember beating the sort of captain of the interleague team, um, who was the, also the captain of Ocean Grove, in a, uh, in a skull-off. So <laughs> that um, I was pretty popular for the rest of that bus trip um, and uh, from that from that moment. But... Um, yeah, under-18s kind of just started, I don't know, I just was Falcons. It was, I was just getting a bit more of a nod and sort of played every game there that year and ended up playing every game in the, um, in the state carnival without standing out. But um, kind of as that year progressed, kind of went from this not really thinking about getting an AFL opportunity to it becoming a serious kind of possibility. And then very late ended up jumping up to being a first-round pick, which was big surprise but yeah pretty cool absolutely and I want to talk about that and the experience around it but um, so far you've given a hell of a lot of insight and I love being wrong on this podcast and I've definitely wrong I had a St. Joey's comment in there so I'm not sure where that come from and also no no sorry I haven't mentioned that I got sidetracked sorry I I went to St. Joey's for year 12 so I was at Belmont High School for uh, for most of year 10 and 11 yep um and yeah, probably off, the, probably on the back of uh, this my bottom age eighteens year uh, Falcons not really getting heaps of opportunity, um, but there was lots of connection between St Joey's and and um, the Falcons. We had a couple of the coaches were teachers at um, Joey's, and they just a few of them just floated to me about potentially moving to St Joey's for year twelve, um, playing for their school footy team, but they sort of pitched that, you know, we can really, um, it's going to be a, a tough year in terms of 
balancing year 12 and, and playing for the Falcons and potentially state car and all that kind of thing. It kind of just, it was like an opportunity to come and we'll, we'll help you out, help you manage all that. Um, but kind of that link between St. Joey's and the Falcons. Um, I mean, I wasn't thinking too much about that time, but I think, I think dad uh, and my stepmom thought it was probably a good opportunity. And it was kind of a, kind of like a scholarship, an unofficial scholarship there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I didn't play too much footy for the school because uh, we actually had a lot of boys at the Falcons who were at St. Joey's, but we played sort of the important games um, leading into the Herald Shield. Um, and there was one game there uh, we played against St. Pat's. We lost, but um, down at Port Melbourne, I, I played quite well that game. And I think I think a lot of scouters were, uh, scouts were there. I think that was a little bit of a uh, reason as to why I might have shot up late in the draft. Um, had a quite a good game then, and um, because up until that stage I was kind of playing reasonable footy without sort of standing out or anything. Yeah, yeah. How did you go with? I'm really interested in the commute from Brunswick to Torquay at that age, and dealing with that. And you sound like you took it all in your stride. Was it a, was it a struggle at the time or a challenge? And um, Tell us more about that. I found it really interesting. It's a part that I didn't know. I didn't know anything about the Canons either. How did you go through that period of your, well, what are we talking, 15? Between, what, 14 and 16, maybe? Yeah, well, Dad actually uh, worked in Brunswick, at Brunswick Secondary College, which is around the corner from where I lived with my mum. So he was living in Torgay, but commuting um, uh, full time until uh, my uh, my first sister was born, uh, mm-hmm. Matisse, and um, when I was thirteen when she was born, and then he cut back to about three days a week. So um, he did a lot of the travelling with me, um, and it was actually really nice. We it was a we had to get up early, so when I stayed the weekend, and we'd get up early Monday morning to head to Melbourne. I mean, as as crap as it was getting up early, it was kind of this nice period of on the train, me and dad would watch something on the laptop or have a chat, we'd grab a coffee and we'd go to Melbourne. It was, it was really nice, kind of a bit of bonding time that we had um, there. And um, there were times I had to do it by myself, but it was just, I mean, I grew up in Melbourne. I was, I was catching the trams at, uh, in grade six to primary school as a 12, 13 year old. Yeah. So I was pretty used to public transport and um, pretty independent kid, I guess. And like, constantly out with friends and sort of going into the city anyway. So I, I didn't really think too much of it at the time. Um, yeah, but uh, it just got to that stage where I was I was keen to try living with dad when I was about 16 and um, kind of, yeah, I guess missed him a bit. And um, it was probably a good move potentially for footy in hindsight. I'm, I can't remember if I was thinking about that really at the time, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's sort of just the way it panned out. I don't really remember it being stressful necessarily or anything. Um, I suppose leaving my school in Melbourne where I had lots of friends yeah. from my primary school and into high school, kind of now I feel like um, I've lost a few of those friends or connections, um, which is a bit sad, but just the way it goes, I ended up making a really good bunch of friends at Belmont High School who are, who majority of them are my really close friends now. So. Yeah, can I answer your question? Yeah, definitely. No, it's a great insight. And I think it, it paints a bit of a picture to potentially you being drafted. I think growing up in inner city Melbourne and then having a lot of independence, as you just touched on, 
being able to catch public transport at a young age and being given a lot of responsibility and then being exposed to commuting to Torquay um, and you even talking about it now you seem pretty cool calm and collected about it which is your nature but for others it may not have been the case and I feel like once we get back to what you were touching on when you had that really good game for St. Pat's in um, down at Port Melbourne and you're being looked at at recruiters potentially recruiters are looking at the whole picture and looking at this and thinking I'm going to start talking about Port Adelaide now this is a kid that we can draft because we know that he'll probably be able to handle it. He may not get homesick. He's done a little bit of living. He's a little bit ahead of his time. Do you think, am I stretching there or is that the case? And was that the case when you were being interviewed in your draft year? Yeah. My memory is pretty bad, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I remember stuff from the draft combine about how I interviewed uh, just from being told stuff. Um, I, I was one of the few players that, was interviewed by pretty much every club. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was another reason as to why I might have shot up late is um, I kind of got labelled that one of the players who was kind of notorious for being like really well interviewed, like a great interviewee. I, um, in terms of the way I responded to questions and was willing to ask questions myself. And, um, you know, I do love, love having a chat and probably overdo it sometimes, but... Uh, there was a couple of coaches who were quite impressed, I think, by the, the interview process. Um, and whether I reflected about my, my upbringing and the fact that I had moved around a bit in those interviews, I can't quite remember. But, I mean, I, I've, he- I've heard stories in recent years of Brisbane, you know, um, drafting players, sort of what you're saying, like ones that they know that would be happy to move and also lots of country boys that sort of, they know will mould and gel well together so that they don't lose that kind of go-home factor. Yeah. Um, so whether that was something Port saw or me, I'm not sure. But um, I was actually, yeah, was, when I got the opportunity to go into state, I was actually really pumped. Like, um, I wasn't homesick at all. I was really, I guess, looking forward to uh, being getting out and being my own person. Sort of probably... Not, I don't want this to sound bad, but getting getting away from the family a little bit because I had spent a lot of time going in between houses and I, mean, I had a great upbringing, but, you know, there was at times pressures to be here or be there. And I think getting away from that was quite good. And both my parents have said that to me. Um, yeah. I mean, all three of my parents have said that to me. It was probably the best thing for me at that age is to get away from all of us and go sort of just be your own person, live your own life a little bit. So... Whether that came across in my interviews or my dealings with the clubs, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But I imagine clubs do look for that kind of stuff for sure, particularly the interstate clubs. Where did you develop the skill set to interview well, to ask questions and talk and be able to hold down good conversations with adults and, and even your peers? Where does that skill set come from, mate? Is it living with teachers and being exposed to different demographics of kids growing up in the city of Melbourne, and, you know, country Geelong? Um, it's a good question. I, I spent a lot of my younger years um, in the presence of adults, um, yeah. uh, whether it was mum, dad and my stepmom. Uh, I've got an older brother who's who's 17 years older than me, so basically an adult yeah. when I was born. Spending time with him and his friends, um, yeah, my, my auntie, uh, so my mum's sister, uh, 
had a had a son a bit older, and then a, and my cousin Isabella, who's the same age, and we were all just around adults a lot as kids, and staying not uh, you know getting looked after by family and friends. So I was always very comfortable around adults from a young age for sure. Um, so I imagine that has something to do with it, but also just comfortable around anyone really. Um, probably because I've just been put in so many situations where. Yeah, my, uh, yeah. Mum particularly was very much happy to leave me in, in, um, you know, with so and so or neighbours and and um, you know, my aunties, my cousins, whatever, um, while she worked. Um, so that probably has something to do with it. And yeah, I guess growing up in where I did, I, I mean, I went to university high school in Parkville, and yeah, I'd say well over fifty percent of the school there was from it was multicultural, which was which I absolutely loved. I had lots of friends who were um, not uh, not just Australian, um, you know, from all over the world, which has definitely shaped the way I interact with people and have an appreciation for for different people and um, always make making sure that I, I'm accepting of everyone and, and where they come from. So that probably all um, definitely has something to do with potentially being able to speak well in those interviews and I've never really felt um, insecure speaking in those kind of uh, situations as well. So I guess it's probably a combination of all those things that have just been part of my development. Yeah, it's a cool answer. It's a really interesting answer, mate. Um, so you said you were pumped to move. You get Talk to me about being drafted. What's it look like on that day, if you can remember? I know you've touched on your poor memory, but I'm sure this is something that you wouldn't forget. Uh, what number did you go in the draft? Did you expect to be drafted? Were you told anything by any clubs? Was there any surprises? How did it all play out? Yeah, well, it, like I knew I was going to get drafted because I got invited to be at the draft night. So I was thinking like, well, I was thinking if I don't get drafted, it's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> so I uh, I can't remember exactly where um, when I found that out. But basically, like I was going to say before, the year started off, and I, you know, got a game, made the squad, was kind of just chugging along, thinking, oh, yeah, I'm playing all right. Then got invited to play State Carnival. No, did okay without, like I said, really shining, in my opinion. Um, and then I guess, yeah, after the combine and, and the testing and the interviewing, things just started to develop from there. And it was like, I remember thinking straight after, I vaguely remember my manager, who I'd uh, picked signed during that year, um, which was another weird experience of having to try and figure out a manager at the age of eighteen and interviewing these range of people who are trying to sell sell themselves. And who'd you choose? I uh, I went with Peter Lenton, who's to this day still my manager, and it was um was one of the best decisions I made in my footy career. I reckon he's uh, he's he's a great mate. Um, but <laughs> I know this is a bit sidetracked, but. I think I think I had him and maybe three other companies come to my house, uh, my dad's house in Torquay. Yeah. And he's in, he stayed for maybe half an hour, and I remember thinking, oh yes, kind of compared to the other interviews I had, I reckon he was the last. They'd all stayed for probably a couple of hours. It was all kind of the glitz and glamour of um, of footy and this, and not not sort of. Uh, not necessarily like the whole rock star lifestyle, but it was kind of this like, oh yeah, we're going to get your boots and car and 
I remember thinking, oh, this is really cool. And they were young guys, so really relatable to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, then Peter sort of came in. It was sort of like, yeah, you know, um, we'll, uh, we'll save your money, um, try, try and get a house as soon as we can. And I suppose to me at that stage, I was thinking that, not that it wasn't appealing, it was just like compared to the kind of pro, the interview um, conversations we had with the other guys, I was a bit like, yeah, whatever. I got along with the other guys better. I want to choose someone I get along with. Um, and dad was like, no, nah, you're going with Peter. He's the only one who talked about houses. And I think he felt like that was a smart choice. And um, I'm glad I listened to his advice on that one. And Pete, yeah, so Pete's been my manager ever since. And he's, he's unreal. And he's, um, he's a huge reason why I've, well, fingers crossed, I, I should be, um, I've been able to do some things financially to, to keep me in good stead going forward. Because um, I'm pretty, when it comes to that stuff, I'm, bit of an airhead so he's he's been awesome in that regard um but yeah i got the invite to the draft combine um and it was sort of like at one stage it's like oh yeah maybe you sort of get drafted or then it was like maybe you know maybe 40 or 50 mark and then it was invite to the draft combine so it was looking like a first round selection potentially yeah and i was a mad saint supporter my whole family was and still is the majority of them. And uh, just, they just lost the 09 granny as well. So it was pretty flat about that. Yeah. Um, and I actually were one of the ones that were really keen on me. Um, I remember this. I know I said my memory is bad, but I definitely remember this. And there was definitely a conversation with my manager, them saying, pretty much committing to picking me at pick 16. Wow. Which is what I I ended up going at sixteen. So I was thinking, far out, this is too good to be true. Um, and yeah, I, they ended up wanting to go for Andrew Lovett. Um, you know, kind of ready made. They just lost the flag, so I guess they're still in that premiership kind of push. Yeah, I remember it. I remember it. And they got Lovett, but they had to give up pick sixteen, and it was like a three-way trade and. Port Adelaide ended up with 16 and they were one of the clubs I think yeah interested but hadn't had heaps of chats with them but they'd come to my house and it, it seemed like a pretty good conversation and then that yeah it ended up being them who picked me on the night and yeah it was cool to be at the draft night have my family um, my girlfriend Grace who you know, we've been together for about eight or nine months at that stage and still together now um, so it's crazy to think that she's literally seen every step of my journey um yeah it was it was a weird night like yeah, it was kind of the beginnings of when they really were starting to make it a bit of a big deal on Foxtel and you were just the coach was there like um, Choco Williams was there and then you were doing radio interviews and it's a bit of a blur but um yeah it was a cool thing to experience I guess. What's Choco Williams like for a young 18 year old 17 year old kid to get drafted to Port Adelaide how was the transition over there? Yeah, he was really good. Uh, yeah. I only had him for less than a year because he moved on two thirds of the way through the 2010 season. So, yeah. and uh, yeah, Matty Primus took over. But I don't have too too many memories of that first year, other than a couple of things that I first pre season session. So I I but I, uh, I was staying with. Paul Stewart, who's a, a player, ex-player at Port, a very good friend of mine now. I was staying with him and his parents. 
Um, he's a he's a player development officer at Port now. Um, so yeah, I lived with them for two years, but I remember having brekkie day my, the day morning of my first session. I had I had like an up and go. Anyway, I basically had heaps of milk in my brekkie, <laughs> and uh, I can't even remember what we did for the first session. But ten minutes in, like I threw up everywhere, and it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't really because it was hard work because the first years weren't even needing like they weren't making us do much. It was because I just had to like it was just just shocking breakfast to have, so it was a great look and. Um, we're all jogging off just the first years away from the group and Choco had all the boys in together. I don't even know what he's saying. And I was just kicking this soccer ball around. I don't even know why the soccer ball. And I tried to boot it and it came off the side of my boot and it was just like, like swerving like closer and closer to the big huddle of players, <laughs> like to Choco's head. And I think it missed his head by probably half a metre. And I just remember thinking, I've, just about delisted myself on the first day. <laughs> you can't kick a ball into the head coach, not just a head coach, like Choco is a, is a bit of a legend. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that first year was good, mate. Like like I said, I was rough to go do something different, be, be away, I guess, and start this new life. And I had a couple of guys who I got drafted with from Victoria who we became really close with. And that group of guys and... and another couple of rookies who have all become very close friends and we're still close friends today. So there's heaps in the state boys too. Um, so it was, it was quite easy. We just all hung out and kind of relied on each other and probably that first three or four years and did the classic. We're going to be to, we're all going to be together for the next 10 years and win a flag and this and that and how good yeah. this. And we were just really close bunch of guys, which, um, which made it really easy for me. It was, it was probably hard for my family, I think in ways I think particularly dad and my stepmom Adele because I'd only lived with them for a couple of years really so I think it's kind of I finally moved with them and then then I was away again and I have yeah. my two youngest two younger sisters at this stage who are sort of missing out on the, on some of their upbringing but you got to do what you got to do you do you definitely do um were you picked to play early and maybe even before that, were there some senior influences around Port that you sort of latched onto? And we hear a lot of stories about younger draftees jumping on the back of the coattails of senior players and sort of mimicking and doing everything they do. Or were you walking your own path, mate? Were you making your own way to playing your first game and doing it your way? Um, yeah, it was interesting. The culture I don't know if it was like this you know across the whole competition but it certainly was it's kind of the end of this kind of culture at Port of like the the older blokes don't really talk to you and yep. you don't you don't dare say anything to them until they look at you basically it's there was a bit of that um, at Port which was difficult at times for me probably being an outgoing person and just a friendly guy who wants to get to know everyone yeah, I certainly had some funny interactions with with a couple of fellas. Um, it took a while for Chad Corns to warm to me, um, <laughs> which was funny. But when I I didn't play I didn't play in my first year. Um, I played the first fourteen games of my second year, and um, when I played, I felt accepted, I guess, by some of those older guys. And, and yeah, and and Chad started give me the time of day a bit more once I'd sort of, I guess, done a pre-season and um, 
showed that you know I could play and all that kind of thing. Um, but there, that was kind of the end of that kind of culture. But there was a bit of it still floating around, probably my first two or three years. Yeah. Uh, something that I've always reflected on is I, I never want it to be like that for any of the younger guys because I just think, particularly coming into state from interstate, it's it's hard enough trying to fit in as it is when, particularly if you're not felt. Uh, uh, if you don't feel welcome um, and I think we do that really well at North I imagine that it's pretty good everywhere now but it, there's probably still elements of that you know five six years ago that and it's a bit of a sub survival of the fittest so yeah in many ways I had a really good time but I definitely had to adapt and uh, it's probably and I do talk about this with my girlfriend Grace a bit because she would sometimes say to me over the years at Port, you're a lot different around the footy boys compared to me or with my mates. And I used to be like, no, what are you talking about? But I think I did have to feel I had to probably change and adapt a bit to fit in and probably yeah. go away from what I probably was as a person in many ways. But I was pretty young just trying to grasp life and footy. There's a lot going on. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I really came close to playing a game in that first year. And I don't think I ever thought I was going to play a game that first year. I was so skinny. I was 68 kilos. I'm now 83, 84. So I was physically not ready to play that year. But I think they might have dangled the carrot late in that year. But I did my hamstring in that same appeal. So that was kind of squashed. Okay. So when you're over there, what is filling up the rest of your days? Are you studying back then? Are you getting anything on the outside to keep you grounded and keep you focused or are you literally just in the into the footy club out of the footy club and left to your own devices a little bit yeah i didn't study the first year well really basically didn't study for the first four or five years um, but i tried to study in the second year because dad basically said that you know they're paying for a fair bit if you study as, as an afl player like you'd be crazy not to do it and it's totally fair enough but i just wasn't ready to you know like I started doing human movement, didn't really know what else to do. And then like, I think it was six weeks in, I just quit. And I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do it. Albeit I did a, had a horrible, like boring subject first half. Yeah. I, and me and one of me and Andrew Moore, one of my teammates were doing it together, but we accidentally enrolled into different classes. So we weren't, the whole point was we we're going to go and do it together. And then we weren't in the same class. So I was like, well, we've had a mayor here. <laughs> so, uh, I'd scrapped that and I was like I don't even want to do anything sport related and it's funny because now I see myself as a very driven and driven person in football and outside of football but those first few years I did float through a bit um, didn't achieve much outside of footy like it was just hanging out playing playstation all the normal kind of teenage boy stuff wasting yeah. a lot of time hanging out a lot with the boys which was great fun um there was a bit of a kind of not a bad party culture but like you know back then you win loss or draw you'd still go out um and that was our way as young boys of kind of you know getting to know each other there feeling a part of it you know getting to know adelaide so there was a bit of that going on and you know i'm certainly like i look back that's some of the stuff I would have done, you know, probably going out on six day breaks and drinking when you're injured and stuff like that, it, that you'd never do now because, you know, it's a not 
professional, but they, you know, we've got all the, you know, you, you, you do, you make decisions based on what's best for the team and everything like that. So probably a lot of those years I've just floated through. Um, you mentioned before, like, did I latch on anyone? I didn't latch on anyone really. I, I was quite probably thought I didn't need to, or yeah, I don't know, but it got to a point really when Ken Hinckley got appointed that I started getting a bit more serious about um, standards and training and following guys and wanting to be one of the better trainers and kind of wanting to be up the top, uh, at the front of running groups and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. Does that come with... Your question. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's a great conversation, mate. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking... Where do I go with response? Because and where do I take the the next uh, way of conversation? Because there's so many avenues that we can go down. I mean, you've touched on your dad, who sounds like he pops in and gives some timely advice at the right time. But then also, um, he must be, uh, I guess, not good enough. I'm not too sure what the word is, but wise enough to let you go and be a teenager. And you talked about drifting along and floating around in in Port Adelaide and stuff like that. I guess it's part of growing up and looking back and I'll, I will get to your current role at North Melbourne. We'll get to all that stuff in regards to leadership and who you are at that footy club and what you represent. But you've just touched on Kenny Hinckley um, and you've gone through a bit of a, a floating phase in your career and he gets appointed. And I remember when he got appointed because I, I am a coach and I love following coaches. And this is a guy that got told no a lot of times. He had a great playing career and he had an established assistant coaching career across a couple of clubs. I know Geelong and potentially Gold Coast. He had Coast. success. He definitely did, and and with good football players too. And But he kept getting knocked back, and the Port job came, and he got it. And it was an interesting watch. And early on, they played some really fast, attractive, physical footy. Um, and then you've just touched on your career sort of taking a, a turn for the better in wanting to be in the front of running groups and maybe a little bit more commitment. So let's go there, mate. Let's talk about when Kenny gets appointed and how that goes with your footy. I probably should mention, because I, I didn't mention, so like Ken came in 2013 mm-hmm. and so was that? So three, that was, I'd been on the list for three years. Now the yep. second year I had a, I played 14 or 15 games, I think it was. And yep. I did I did my hammy twice, but I, I got through half the season, did my hammy, came back for a game, did my hammy, same game, and that was it. Um, but I played good enough footy. I mean, I, I got a Rising Star nomination. Um, I was getting picked based on form. You know, yep. maybe early it was about giving me a game as a young, you know, kind of high draft pick. But, you know, I was, I was keeping my spot. 2012 was a really difficult year because I had reoccurring hamstring issues. I, I, I played one AFL game for the year, which yeah. was in Darwin. And that was off the back of missing the first 10 games with hamstring, which I'd done one in the preseason, came back, was playing half a game of reserves for the SNFL to get just to get game time and get back to a full game the next week, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did my hammy like two minutes before I was meant to come off and be done. Uh-huh. And then I, I just had like, they kept having setbacks 
not really doing them, but just it wasn't getting better. That so we ended up taking ten weeks off, and it was a really shit period for me. Um, and anyone who's done hammies, they're just a it's just a really annoying injury because like there's no real time frame sometimes, and they it's a very individual thing. Like they they react to you react to, uh, to the training differently to others and. They can just take time. There's scar tissue, and is that is that a, is that just a grab of scar tissue, or is you know is it about to go? So there's a lot of that kind of mental demons you're battling with to get back from an injury. And as a young guy, not really having too much experience, I was pretty impatient, and yeah, hated the fact that I was just putting in all this work into rehab and not really getting anywhere. Yeah. And then I came, I came back and played finally. Played five or six SNFL games, felt like the hammy was good. Got picked and we played a Melbourne in Darwin Saturday night. And at the end of the first quarter, <laughs> Chad Wingard ran back courageously. I was on my man just and I went up to spoil and Chad Wingard, it looked really courageous from him, but he kneed me in the ribs and I ended up puncturing my lung and breaking my rib, cracking my rib. Yep. And I, I had to stay in Darwin for like two or three days and I couldn't fly back because I've had a punctured lung and you can't fly. So I had to catch a train back with my dad. And that was my year done after that. So I was just like a bit nowhere like at that point. And then Ken got the job. I know, so that probably briefly mentioned, yeah, that was the year the whole uh, John McCarthy thing happened. So there was, a, there was just a lot going on yeah. for everyone at the club and, Matty Primus had been sacked. Um, we we're all a bit nowhere, to be honest. Yeah. Anyway, Ken came in and, you know, over the time, me and Ken, we're very different personalities and don't, you can always get along. Not didn't get along, but we're just different. But yeah, he, he gave me opportunity and consistently played me throughout probably 13, 14 and 15. And, there was times there's no way I deserved to get a game, but he just gave me games because he wanted me to get to sort of that, you know, he wanted to get me up to the hundred games to give me that experience to, you know, be a consistent um, player. Yeah. We had Darren Burgess come over at the same time as Ken, who just got the whole list super fit. And we, none of us knew how to train properly. Um, Brad Ebert came over from, from West Coast at the same time. He's a really good trainer, high standards coming from West Coast are the same. And it was he it was basically laughable to him what we were training our standards. So yeah. lots of change got made and I learned how to train hard and learned, like I said before, how to want to be up the front of the running groups and winning time trials. And we had a unbelievably fit running group. And um yeah, that first two years of Ken's tenure there was was unreal because we came out of nowhere we played finals both years we were taken on at all costs but we you know played a really good defensive game as well um we we're exciting um and yeah we built this really cool momentum we, we kept coming back and winning close games and i actually i actually got injured that year as well i played the first four and um did my quad and ended up missing eight weeks with that, which was pretty disappointing because off the back of the year before, I was thinking, great. Here we go again. And I remember, yeah, and I remember Ham hamstring stuff again or something like that, yeah. And I'd actually set out at the start of that pre-season so that I'm not going to drink this pre-season or this season. 
to um, just to see if it makes a difference, basically. Yeah. Anyway, I ended up getting injured anyway, so I conc- I think I concluded that it doesn't make a difference. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I won't tell the for, um, for all your kids listening out there. <laughs> I won't tell the kids, but no, it was a good for me to try and be resilient. In, yeah. And um, anyway, I got back from that quaddy, can put me straight in. And I wasn't even confident I'd be able to kick at that stage. I was still scared I was going to do my quad. And I just had a good patch of not necessarily form, but I I don't reckon I missed a game for probably 50 or 60 games, maybe a bit more. And, uh, yeah, embarrassed at times to be playing when I knew that guys were playing better in the NFL. And, you know, I didn't want to be the guy that was like, like, I know we all know I shouldn't be playing, but, yeah, what am I meant to say? Like, and, and Ken, you know, he was really good at persisting with me, I guess. Was that just you, though, Jess? Like, was that just your thoughts? Or was it, were you really not playing good footy? Or did you just have a little bit of um, self-doubt at the time for for reasons unknown? I'm not sure. It's interesting. Like, if you keep getting picked, I mean, AFL is pretty ruthless, man. Like, if you're not performing, well, you get dropped. It was just like we were playing well as a team and mm. winning, you know, more often than not. But I felt like I wasn't like you look at oh great win, but who you know who contributed? I just felt like it was just a lot of games. I just didn't feel like I contributed that much, and you yeah. know within yourself you're like, and I'm never one to come off disappointed because you know if you win you win it shouldn't matter. But it was probably like you know one in three or four games I I played reasonable enough, and the rest were just yeah probably wasn't making the inroads I wanted and it was mainly about my defensive side of my game which is interesting because now that's probably become a staple of my game yeah um and that was always the knock it was always you know when I say Ken persisted in gave me lots of opportunity he was very hard on me as well about that side of my game and there was always that sort of bit of a knock on me about taking the game on and making lots of mistakes but you know when it paid off it was looked good but probably cost too many goals and there was a very that hung over my whole my head over the whole time before and there were stages where I felt like Dana were like yeah you're picking out one kick I've missed in a game what about like the good stuff I've done and I one thing I've always prided myself on is I give my heart and soul when I play so Mm. I felt like at times that was getting missed, if you know what I mean, and yeah. people focus on your mistakes. But yeah, we got to 2016, and that was my sort of breakout year, consistently, consistency-wise, where I I pretty much played well every week. Uh, I I think I had two games where I was like I didn't play well today, but even then it wasn't like a, a shocker, and I'd kind of bridged that gap. So that was a important year for me, knowing. Yeah, I can play with the best at this level. So that was that was a really kind of good year for me. Even though the next two years end up being quite challenging, but that, I always refer back to that year as the year that I, yeah, I know I can do it. So how many more years there until the trade talks start to happen, and um, and why is that? Why did it come to that at that point of your career? Can you take us through that period? It sounds like you've really just started to establish yourself in Adelaide. I'm assuming Grace has moved over at this stage. Yeah, Grace moved over. Oh, what year is that? Well, she lived. We did four years long distance uh, and then five years in Adelaide together. Uh-huh. Yep. So it must have been about 
I think it was 2013, at the end of 2013, maybe. Um, was there a pull yeah. to come home at all because of what, both of you wanting to get um, back to Melbourne or? Uh, I signed, so I signed a three year after I got drafted to like extended a year. And then I ended up signing, I signed another three year and I was just, there was no way I was going anywhere. Like it would, no one could, no one would have been able to talk me out of it. I wouldn't be interested in exploring another option. Not that there was, but, uh-huh. and then it was quite good timing, I guess. Um, that 2016 year I was, I had that year and then the next year left on my contract. So I had a good year, all Australian squad. Yeah. Um, and there was apparently interest. So throughout the next year, it was a bit of like that kind of thing. Um, will you sign? Will you this? But in my mind, I, I literally said to my manager, I, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't. And he said to me at one stage, funnily enough, it was North Melbourne. North are keen to have a chat. They're going to fly. The recruiter, recruiter's going to fly. We'll just come to your house. No one will know. Yeah. Not that I, not that I'm a big shot, but that's what they were saying. And and I said, I, no, nah, no way. He can just talk to you. I'm, I'm happy to hear through you what he has to say. But I, let's get this. Let's get it deal done with Port. Yeah, right. And there's never any figures, but you know, somehow media being the way it does, there was some five year, five hundred thousand dollar deal on the table. But like, I was never that never came to me from anyone. Yeah. Through my manager or anything. Uh, so that was a little bit tricky because that 2017 year, when I eventually signed towards the back of that year, I, I did my hammy in the JLT. Came back, maybe around four or five. Played. I thought I was playing alright, and then I um probably dropped form a little bit, and then I just remember kind of getting told, if you don't pick, if you don't fix these areas of your game, you're probably going to get dropped. And I was a bit like, oh shit, okay. Um, so that year was difficult because I was a bit in and out of form, and I did get, I think I did get dropped. Oh, yeah, I think I got dropped at some point. Yeah, I was just like, I just want to get this contract done. And I was, it was a bit of frustration because it was there ready, but the club were just like putting it off a bit. And No, they were waiting for one of the other boys. They're like, we want to sign you both up together and announce it together. And I was just like, can't you just do me now? I don't really care. Like, what's that got to do with me kind of thing? Yeah. Anyway, eventually signed that three years. Um, was really happy with it. Thought it was fair. And, and I wanted to play at Port. Um, I loved the boys. and. Um, wanted to you know win a premiership there um there were some things around the club i didn't necessarily agree with that i probably let worry me too much but that was the game the aim was to um be a one club player and build on those relationships i've been there now seven years so i was pretty content and then um yeah then the next year did my hammy exactly the same circumstances in 2018 like last pre-season game just before round one yeah another six weeks and I just couldn't really I just was on the back foot again and came in got dropped got dropped two or three times couldn't play well there's some other stuff going on around the club that was really frustrating me um and it was just I'd just gotten sick of footy basically 
What was going no on at Port? Are you prepared to talk about it or not really? Um, I was just sort of... There's nothing that serious or anything. It's just for... As a club, there's expectation. And we, after 2014, it was like we were premiership favourites. Didn't even make finals 15, 18. I think we did make finals. So 15, 16 didn't make finals. And 17, we made finals. Anyway, it was just pressure because we'd stagnated. We thought we, we, we knew we were a lot better than what we were, but we just couldn't get it together. And with with that inconsistently, it's just funny how much a whole club uh, it, it affects the whole club. Um, there's a is bit of disarmament. Is it due to Adelaide, mate? I want to talk. I was gonna. wasn't sure if I was gonna yeah. ask you or not, but I guess you've segued into a little bit. Is that football town? Do you get away from it at all? I mean, it's a two-team town. It's no, pretty full on. Yeah. Like it's funny. Like Melbourne's there's ten teams, but. Oh, it's like being somewhere where no one cares about footy sometimes. And yeah. I always found that interesting coming back. I was just like, what's it? Well, not a, like it's a, like Victoria footy mad, pretty much the home of footy. Mm-hmm. But I can come into the club, be, be me as the footy player and then leave. And I'm not necessarily the footy player when I walk down the street or I can hang out with friends in areas of Melbourne where people just don't care or wouldn't come up to you. So it was tough. Not so bad for me, but certainly some of the boys, Robbie Gray, Chad Wingard, I mean, they could barely go out without yeah. getting bothered. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it would have been the same for some of the Adelaide players. So it was difficult to get away from that. And, you know, people say, people not holding back when they, you know, when you had a pub or even, you know, just in the street, people spraying it for no reason. Like that stuff happened and you get a bit sick of that. Yeah. Um, but there's there's a little bit of disharmony between the like the AFL side and the the boys playing SNFL. It's just it just was. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I can't fully remember. It's a little bit hard to explain. But you see that the successful teams always have a really strong reserves team, and the culture around that's really good. And even though guys aren't getting playing AFL, that they, they feel like they're they're important or they're valued a part of, you know, in the grand plan of success for the club. Yeah. I just felt like that was lacking at times. Um, yeah, and those guys who just probably felt like their development had stunted and no one really cared. And I, yeah. I, I just, that stuff just annoys me, I guess. And I probably spent a lot of mental energy worrying about that and other guys and trying to fix things and getting pissed off about stuff. And then, my form was pretty crap as well. So um, it just, my general attitude and vibe just started getting quite negative and just cynical. Um, you know, and a bit of part of my humour is to be a bit kind of cynical and, and like satire, I guess. But yeah. But it was probably just compounding and becoming, I was creating an environment for myself where I just hated footy. Yeah. Like, I hated it. I was looking forward, to, like, I would openly say to teammates, when this three-year deal's done, that's it for me. Like, I'm, I can't wait to leave this, leave footy. Just other stuff about the industry in general, just the politics of it all. I was just like, it's just stupid and I hate it. Yeah. Um, and it was definitely affecting my football. And I wasn't unhappy 
because I can always separate footy from my life and find things that I'm that make me happy. But you know, it is your job and it does take up ninety percent of your life. So it, it was I was becoming probably just a bit too negative as a person. Yeah. And um, yeah. Anyway, the exit meeting in eighteen at the end of uh, eighteen. I went in there, not not all guns blazing, but I was going to go in there and have a chat and think, all right, what are we going to do to turn this club around? Like, I'm on, like, obviously, I'm not where I want to be, but let's fix some stuff, like, really wanting to be positive about it. But I didn't even get to that stage because it was basically the first thing that was said was, how would you feel about exploring opportunities elsewhere? And, yeah, I was already pretty pissed off at that stage. That, that made me feel real shit because... Um, I had two years left, like I'd signed not that long ago. And I felt like behind the scenes, I did a lot of things, you know, caring for players, trying to stick up for guys, doing what I thought was right by guys. And I felt like it just not like it was a bit underappreciated, I guess. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, like not to toot my own horn, I was pretty like well-liked member of the group and popular and had was friends with everyone just as, you know, I am at North. Um, so, yeah, I sort of left that exit meeting, yeah, a bit unsure of everything. And when, you know, it was right, you know, it's wacky. It was Mad Monday, not that we had a Mad Monday, but, you know, those boys were at the pub somewhere. So I went to the pub and I was sort of telling the boys what I sort of said. And a few of them were a bit like, oh, that's bullshit. If you leave, if they get rid of you, I'm going to be pissed off and all of these kind of things. So it was a bit like that. It was just a bit flattening I guess yeah and I, I was even saying to myself no nah, I'm not leaving I'm just gonna stay like they'll just have to cop paying my contract and even if I don't get a game I'll just like that's where I was at like kind of be stubborn yeah just for the sake of it which is unlike me really but uh, how, yeah, I had a really good... how are the influences sorry to cut you off but at the moment like how are the influences in your life stacking up where's dad his advice, your manager, uh, Grace, and you you touched on being able to separate, which is remarkable. Being able to separate your football life to your your outside football life, which not a lot of athletes can do. They find it really hard. Um, but it is sounding like, and even the story, even the way it's gone. And don't worry, we'll cheer it up soon when when we get to North. But even listening to you talk, it sounds like a a little, well, not a little, a pretty flat time in your life. So. Were you getting some decent advice around then, but were you just, as you just touched on then, maybe being a bit too stubborn to accept it or? Yeah, I think dad always, but dad, my mum and my stepmother always um, just want me to be happy and have always trusted that I know what makes me happy. Yeah. I know dad and my stepmom particularly would like me probably to come home. Not, you know, I think they liked that I was wanted to be one guy playing all this, but you know, just after years and years of being in the state, you know, they you do miss that family connection. Yeah, it was probably after it all happened, the trade went down, and you know, even recently, I was reflecting on it with Dad actually, and he said, "Oh, it's like you just you had to leave that place that you just weren't happy there, and you know, I I knew that you just couldn't." keep going there because like, I could just tell when you talk you're just not happy you weren't you were, yeah everything I just said negative cynical pessimistic um and he's like it just has to be affecting your form like I can't see how it couldn't be yeah um 
and I didn't know that, but I always did think, you know what, I know game day, I, I try my hardest regardless and for, for this club and I've got my uh, issues with whatever. But um, it was interesting though, like as Grace, uh, you know, I'd already made her move from Melbourne to Adelaide and start a new life, which has had its challenges for her. Yeah. By the time the sort of trade talk came around, she was really comfortable and had a good job and had made a really good bunch of friends outside of footy in Adelaide and had really thrown everything at it and made a real life for herself. So for her, mate, the, the, the prospect of us moving back was actually quite difficult because she kind of didn't really want to and felt like her life was there now. And now all of a sudden it's just bang, we're gone. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, the next year she'd been offered a kind of promotion in her teaching job. So it was, it was tough because I just felt like, oh, yeah, we're all just going to buck to my career again. And, you know, it's a tough thing about professional sports is, unfortunately, sometimes the partners probably feel like their careers uh, aren't valued because we've just got to go follow the, the, the athlete. So, and I don't like that either. I don't like making people feel like that or feeling like my life's more important but yeah um i was yeah i was still kind of not wanting to leave but i had a good chat with nathan bassett who's my backline coach at the moment and this one thing he said to me that really stood out because i mentioned all these things like oh yeah i'm just gonna stay i don't care like i'll back myself in to get back in the team blah 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 and he said no asked me what do you think and he said look think you, you and Ken are probably your personalities are still probably at a point now where you both need to meet each other halfway a little bit um, and he just said that 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 might be tough for you I don't know it could be tough mm. it might be fine but he said you're probably out of favor a little bit now um, he said you should be thinking about how much more footy you think you can and want to play and I, like I said before I was ready to just give it up after the end of this contract so you were thinking about years. giving up playing football. Well, win this contract. So I had two more years. I was like, that'll yep. do me. Really? How old are you? I'm 29 now. So that would have been uh, 27. Well, wow. you, you would have happily just said that's so it. it. So it would, have, it would have been like at the end of this season. Uh-huh. Done. Wow. Um, he said, if you can keep your body right, you should. You have another five years in you. And I sort of said, oh, Five years. I couldn't think anything worse than playing another five years, but yeah, <laughs> which is funny. And I've always said, oh, I've always said, oh, those those bloody old players who just hang on year after year, they try and get it, string another year out. I'm just like, you, you don't want to be that like, guy. You've had your time. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, now I've been given this opportunity at a new club, and it's just really, and I said recently to someone, it's it has been life changing many reasons because I found my passion for footy again but I have narrowed back towards the person that I want to be and this opportunity has allowed me to do that um, and now I feel like I'm with everything that's going on at North and the positivity and Shorey and the new appointments like oh, I'm going to be the guy that's going to try and hang around as long as possible and whether that's you know I don't if it gets to a stage where I'm not in the best 22, that's fine. But if this environment is really great environment to be involved in. Yeah. Um, and I'll look at myself as potentially being the kind of player who 
would just, you know, stay here even if I was playing VFL or whatever it is, just to help out potentially, we'll say anyway. Well, it's a good little segue into North, but I don't want to go there just yet because you're a different cat. Let's just get that out on the table. I'm looking at you now. You've got the turtleneck. You've got the blonde M&M hair, a bit of a different hairstyle. There's tats left, right and centre. Um, Mick Turner, who was your uh, regional manager back in the day when you were a Falcon, when you got drafted, he just basically said, he's alternative, isn't he, Jasper? And I said, yeah, that's a good word for it. And he alluded to maybe it being due to a family member that was in a band or a bit of a rock and roll background or something like that. Is there any truth to that? Um, you, you're you very genuine, and I will tell a story about um, my experience with how genuine you are and the type of person you are soon. But you're a genuine guy who walks to the beat of his own drum and doesn't tend to care what people think, and you're really comfortable in your own skin, which is a fantastic trait. Tell me about it, mate, because... Well, personally, I couldn't pull off the tats in the head of what you're doing at the moment. So where does it all come from? Do you just like express yourself that way or is there an influence in your life early days where it come from? Yeah, well, the family member you mentioned is my uncle, Billy Miller, who, yeah, um, so that's my mum's sister's husband. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but we're related by marriage, but he's, uh, he's a rocker um, and he's family were musicians uh, they all played in a band called the ferrets two brothers two sisters and, and then a couple of non-family members um yeah they had a hit in the 70s or must have been the 70s um with the ferrets uh, that topped the charts for charts for a number of weeks that was a bit of a that was their claim to fame but yeah so i've, I've been surrounded by music my whole life um my dad has He's not a musician himself. He can play the guitar a little bit, but he he's an avid music lover, and as well as my stepmom, and they've always been good influences in that space for me because they have constantly played all types of stuff around me, every genre there is, and um, I'm very thankful of all the people. And my brother as well is a awesome music taste, and those those three in particular are probably ones I've always I always. I'm thankful that I've been given experience to new music through them. And um, music is a massive part of my life now, just day to day. I find it hard going half an hour without putting something on. I, I just need to. And I'm getting a bit obsessive about hopefully trying to be able to make and do my own music soon. Um, but yeah, I think. What kind of genre would you do, by the way? Don't just leave that sitting there. Where, are you an accusive uh, guy are you, are you on the decks or something? I'm mucking around a little bit on electronic stuff at this stage. I just I just bought a MIDI keyboard that's coming in the mail just to use on Ableton and start trying to learn how to make music. So probably more, in that sense, a bit more electronic at this stage. But um, I've, I've played three instruments in my life. I started playing violin. So mum got me playing violin when I was three to 11. Yep. Um, but I, I kind of didn't like it after a while. So the... She made a deal and said I had to pick up something else. So I picked up drums and guitar for about five or six years. So um, it's always been a part of my life. And yeah, dad, dad's a, he's an old hippie. Um, <laughs> and he's uh, very, yeah, he's, he's alternative. Like dad, my stepmom and my mum are all, you know, pretty left-minded um, or pretty hippie, I guess, in terms of the way they think and view the world. and 
that's definitely um, flown on to me. Um, they're all very caring, compassionate people who have taught me. Probably the biggest thing they've all taught me was include in being inclusive and accepting and understanding of people for their differences and, and giving people a go. I, I clearly remember. Yes, mum's always been one as well. Like if there's ever a kid that looked or felt left out at school, whatever, I, I, you be the one to go and make them feel like they've got a friend or whatever. So that's something I've always tried to live my life by, I guess, being compassionate. And I, I don't know, like, I've just always liked fashion and um, dad's got a few tats, so I guess I wanted a tat. And I've ended up getting a few that I regret I got now, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's all part of me figuring it out. And I've always liked to look certain ways and, you know, some of it's, I guess it can be a bit of vanity at some stages and, Grace knows how to get under my skin because she will I'll say it's not it's it's not because I care what I look like I just like to look a certain way and try wearing this or try when I'll try having my hair like that and she knows that it gets under my skin she's saying you just care about what you look like <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of a funny thing but um yeah I mean I've got lots of friends who are similar as well like we do we all, all our friends are really into music and um I think living and growing up in Melbourne you're exposed to a lot of alternative arts and culture, which is another huge reason why I'm so happy to be back here because I'm, I'm loving my footy, but I'm loving what Melbourne offers offers you from the from the cultural point of view and the fact that I can do what I do and be who I am at North and no one bats an eyelid or no one judges me is probably the biggest part. That was probably... A little bit of that at Port, I was always confident being myself and the boys always respected that, but there always was a bit of an air of I was trying to be different. I was, I'm never trying to be anything other than what I want to be. And it, if people find that different, cool, whatever. But yeah. it's not it's not to make a point or let be Larry or whatever, but um, it's just because that's what I'm into and it's not really got anything to do with anyone else. But... Um, yeah, I thought isolation was the perfect time to go for the Jess Trend blonde. And... <laughs> She'll love hearing that. Yeah, she's, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> we've had a couple of chats about it. So, yeah, that, I guess that answers the... But yeah, like I don't see myself as different or alternative. I'm just into things that I'm into. And I look at people who are conservative, I guess, and think, well, I think you're different to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like... We're all different. Like it's not really a thing. I think, I think that term can be used as in a negative, and I, I I like to use it more as a positive. I totally agree. I think it's cool. I think it's really good that you feel that way. And segueing into North Melbourne, I think you're encouraged to express that as individuals at that footy club, aren't you? Did you feel like that straight away when you got to North? Was that something that hit you straight away, or were you a little bit unsure, like oh? I think this place is like this, but maybe it's just a honeymoon period. I hope it's like this. Or did you feel like that straight away at North Melbourne? It was a place for you. Straight away, I felt comfortable. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, you mentioned the honeymoon. Maybe I thought, well, yeah, you're new. Obviously, people are going to probably be nice to you. It's not like the old days, like I was talking about when. Um, you might chat. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> Yeah, speaking to, spoken to, kind of. Yeah, thing. that, that um, culture when you first got drafted. Yeah, 
yeah, having said that, me and Chad are good friends now, though, which is funny. I think uh, he he left and went to GWS, and I became really close with all of his friends at Port, and then would end up when he was back in LA, we'd catch up, and he realised I was good friends with all his friends. It's fascinating because he he went to GWS in a a bit of a mentor role to the younger players, didn't he? And he was really effective in that. Yeah, and he he openly talks about how he was probably his first stint there was probably a bit closed off and he he changed he he realized i need to probably be a bit be a bit more um approachable um but yeah we i do like to remind him of that from time to time that's cool but (laughs) but um yeah so i was maybe it was that honeymoon period i was thinking like yeah maybe yeah i'm the new guy so but i think we had a range of new guys coming along so it was me it was myself dom um holly uh, Polly, obviously, who came with me, um, Tommy Campbell. I think I've I've forgotten someone, but anyway, there's a few of us. Yeah. So that made things easier, and it's just it's there's just an accepting culture at North, and um, I can't remember who said it early, but it was the individual is praised and celebrated here, or not even necessarily celebrated. There's no rock stars, but no one will be made to feel bad. And look, I didn't spend too much time with Brad Scott, but because he obviously left halfway through last year. But yeah, I think I did hear a couple of consistent things from him about what he had said over the years was he hated that bully culture in footy, that probably lad boysy kind of, yeah, kind of hang shit on each other, which is fine. And we all do that. But you know what yeah. I mean? That kind of real boys club kind of, culture he he wasn't a fan of it i think he just got rid of it uh, or got rid of guys who probably were like that um yeah and that's when you see guys you know like brianie who is able to flourish and be successful but it's a lot of that's in the back of him feeling like comfortable being able to be who he is and it's just so important and i think that's exactly what i felt since i've come in that no matter you know as long as you as long as I was going to throw myself at what the club was about and, and um, try and be a shin boner, I'd be it accepted. And that's what I tried to do. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I'm lucky enough to, to be there in a small capacity with the, with the women. And I remember, uh, this is the story that relates to you, mate. So when I was lucky enough to get the gig as an assistant coach with AFLW, I think it was around November last year, we get an email and, um, you know, there is a perception, rightly or well, it's definitely wrong, but rightly or wrongly, there's a perception out there that sometimes some clubs have, you know, token male players that come in and just look like they are invested in the women's space, which is just a bit of a PR stunt. Um, and it has happened and it does exist. So we get this email saying um, there's going to be AFL players, men's players coming to help, etc. I'm looking after defence and there's your name. Jasper Pittard will be looking after defence. I'm like, oh, this would be interesting. I wonder wonder what this guy's like. Is it token? I don't know. This would be... I was really, um, I guess, inquisitive about the whole thing. And so we had a Sunday morning meeting and I know for a fact that you guys, as a senior club, and you being one of the, the elder players, weren't due back for at least two or three weeks post this Sunday morning AFLW meeting. And I was my, it was my first day officially at Arden Street and walk in and sure enough, there you are standing there ready for the meeting. 
and um, come and introduce yourself. And I just remember thinking, geez, like this guy, A, doesn't have to do that. B, isn't, re- isn't supposed to be back into the footy club to do his own training for at least a month. And here he is invested in what the role stated was to, to help out with defence for the AFLW. And, um, and when people ask me about North, I love telling that story because it's so genuine and it's so real. And it's cool to talk about an AFL footy club in that, I guess, language. They are, as you said, you know, no one gets over-celebrated and it's not about the rock stars. You're encouraged to be yourself. You're encouraged to um, to be genuine and, and be yourself. And I'm, I don't know Ray Shaw from a bar of soap. I've heard him talk a couple of times, but I know he's really big on that and I'm sure you can um, touch on that too. But yeah, I think, I don't know, I've dribbled on a little bit, but that story encompasses what North's about. To me, I think you're not the only person that, that does that type of stuff. It's infectious. It's it's in the whole club. It's not just football either. It's marketing. It's people in sponsorship and stuff like that. I've met so many people up in the office there that are, have the same traits, mate. It's um it's a pretty cool place to be, isn't it? Yeah, it's spot on. And yeah, thanks for telling that story. Um, I do remember that, and I remember my thought process was like Sunday morning. I think it was getting in there at maybe nine o'clock. I was like, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I'm sure half the girls probably didn't even want to be there on (laughs) on a Sunday morning, but it was important to me that, because I had a couple of motives to to getting involved uh, and it wasn't to be token at all. Like you mentioned, um, it was to get to know the girls. Basically I want to get to know them. I want to show them that AI care, but hopefully that can trickle down to the rest of the men's team that we care about your presence and involvement in this club and what you're going to do for the success of this club and that for the whole club to be successful, we need all cylinders firing. And the AFLW to me is just as important as the AFL. So, and, and another reason was, you know, I was sick of bumping into, you know, Ash Riddell and, and, and Trendy in the gym and, and other girls and not knowing their names because that's a pet hate of mine, not knowing names. And it's something I'm really bad at is remembering names yeah and that that moment when you like talk to somebody like they've already told me what their name is three times i can't ask again oh i'm shitty i said it so yeah <laughs> and um so i was like i'm getting there and and uh whatever capacity is just just get to know them and build relationships and um i've never been that keen on coaching myself um i know obviously as a player, there'd be stuff I could teach, but that wasn't really what my aim was. My aim was to build relationships and, and just be involved. Um, another big reason is, um, well, it doesn't sound corny. I was going to say it sounds corny, but women have, there's been some important women in my life who shaped the, not just who I am, but the person I want to be. So that was important to me because like when they felt season the first season and, and we were told you know there's going to be a women's season like the excitement my cousin Bella had on her face like finally a women's comp and you know I've got friends girlfriend um you know female friends who play for local footy and just the, the enthusiasm excitement that finally girls are getting the actual chance to play yeah and I just thought that was really cool so I just thought we've got heaps of people who are going to help out with the men's team and do all this and um, want to be involved. If I'm ever going to be involved with a coaching capacity, I, I prefer to do it 
do something different and get involved with the girls and, and really um, sort of get immersed into the culture there, particularly at the beginning of our culture in the AFLW there. I mean, get the chance to be there in the first couple of seasons is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it was really important for me to show that. And, and I could tell the first few times I went down, it was, it was difficult in the sense that I was a bit awkward. Um, everyone's sort of getting to know each other and the girls would probably no doubt thinking like what you said <laughs> what's this bloke doing and I reckon it took took four or five training sessions I reckon for, for for me to probably feel properly relaxed and the girls to kind of finally be like slapping up with me and like kind of it was relaxed and authentic and um, <laughs> I remember thinking I was really pumped when that happened and then just the attention to detail our girls show in trying to learn and pick your brain was really cool as well. So, yeah, I guess I wanted to do that because of the reason I said, but also because of that's that's what I feel like North Melbourne stands for. So, um, you know, you've got Brownie and, 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 and Nathan Rovat and Tommy Campbell pitching in a bit. But, yeah, like you said, every corner of the club... Down Crocker and, pitching into. He's done... Yeah. A lot of good stuff with the mids, yeah. There's, I mean, and even the guys that aren't officially involved that you pass in the hallway uh, are equally as good as those guys too, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And I think what I wanted to help do as well is, yeah, so when when our men and women are all in the same facility, and it, I, you just want it to be natural because if everyone feels comfortable and natural around each other, it's only going to create a, a good environment for us all to flourish in. So... Um, I mean, there was a little bit of motive behind what I wanted to do, but at the end of the day, a big part of everything for me is about building relationships and being authentic and um, getting to know people. So that was pretty much the main crux of it. And if it meant being there on a Sunday morning, it, uh, to be honest, it was probably the back end of off season. I was that over just being at home anyway. So <laughs> I was uh, happy to get out of the house and feel like I, uh, had something on. I think the other part of it too that um, needs to be spoken about is that you guys don't come in and act like you know everything and and throw a heap of men's terminology and, and that type of talk around the girls. You treat, although we are one club and we talk about that a lot, it's still the women's game and the men's game, there are slight differences and you guys embrace the way our game plan and our terminology is, is being taught and that's one of the main takeaways for me and I think the the magic in it is being able to relate it when when possible in a, a vision meeting um, or out on the track in a drill. That's where the magic happens. And for coaches like us in the women's space, to have you guys out there and be able to bounce off and listen when you're doing those sessions or talking about a particular craft or how to use your body or tackle or in the contest, etc., is invaluable. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's done really well. And, with any luck, mate, we'll be able to get back and do it again, hopefully, if uh, if the restrictions keep lifting. Bloody oath. I was, uh, yeah, it was flattening the way it all ended for for the girls and well, everyone, but yeah, what could have been, I guess. But yeah, I, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed being there game day, watching the girls improve week to week and in training sessions and it's such a, it, it's really refreshing to see the girls go out there training and everything because they're just so excited and um, 
have so much fun. And we try and do that a lot, uh, you know, within our team. But I just think the girls do that really well. They, they just have fun. They love being there. They're wrapped for the opportunity. They want to make the most of the opportunity and really, really look out for each other, which, which I really took a lot from. And uh, it was just great to just even just be, you know, in, in the rooms just to watch them go about it and um, kick some footies in the, in the, in the warm-up. Um, was, yeah, it was great. And I'm really looking forward to next season, which, yeah, hopefully goes ahead and should be sweet. Yeah, couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. This has been an awesome chat, but it would be, uh, wouldn't be right if I didn't touch on um, the new coach and the environment and what's happening at North because so many people talk about it um, and so many people talk about him, uh, Reece Shaw we're talking about, and what he's brought to the club and how his, his way of coaching is his own way and what he's brought to the table. Can you share some stuff? for us on what you've experienced so far and, and why um, you're excited about what's to come? Yeah, well, I mentioned before, you know, it's been a life-changing experience getting this opportunity. And I mean, sometimes you think maybe I've, maybe I've done something good along the way to be aligned with Shory at the same time because I just feel so lucky that we, we both pretty much came, well, my trade went down. He was the second person to contact me. Third, actually, it was Brad Scott rung me. I was in America. Um, yeah. And then Heath um, rung me for some media duties. And then I had a message from Shory. And I've never met Shory, never spoken to him, played against him, but would have been at the other end of the ground whenever it was. Yeah. And I, it, the message just said something like, welcome to the club, blah, blah. You know, I'm new too. Um, watch you from afar and I, I just I just love the way you play and I think you're going to add so much to this back line and um, but you're basically you're the kind of player we, that we really need and I think I needed that bit of confirmation about where I was at because at the time I was you know traded north but I'm thinking like oh, I'm not going to be in the start I might not be in the starting lineup I don't know like yeah I don't know where I didn't know where I sat yeah with my where my footy was at and he just gave me that sort of just that simple text made me feel like oh great like I feel like what I bring as a footy player is going to be valued right from then and he was just such a great backline coach I was actually when he became interim coach I was actually a bit flat because I was like <laughs> I'm going to miss <laughs> like all right cool mate you're the head coach now for a bit but like, yeah, good for you. Yeah, well done. What about what about <laughs> us back? But we had we had Croc take over, which was an absolute joy having Croc as our defensive coach. Yeah. Uh, when Shory got the interim, and like, uh, there's so many things I could say about him, but he is accepting, he's inclusive, he's driven. He works on his relationships with every single person at the club, not just the ones he thinks are important. The, the people that probably think they're not important, he puts more time into. So I just think, and and the the work he does, like I've just never I've never really seen someone go to the lengths he does to to get to know people and make people feel like their role in this organisation, whether it's player, coach, or or otherwise, is super valuable. 
and that you matter and that you care. So how does he do it, Jess? Share a story because the, these stories are invaluable. It's the, it's the best way we well, learn. He just, he just puts in the time. Um, he just, and I don't know how he does it, whether he's got a, he's got a checklist in his book. I mean, he does carry his notebook, but he must just have plays with now. I like, cannot forget that person. Cannot forget this person. A, a, a simple thing like this, like when he inter- introduced, it was day one of preseason, introduced the new coaches. Yep. Anyway, he was saying, oh, we've got some new people at the club. I can't remember exactly to say Jared Rivers. And then he reeled off like three names I hadn't heard and a couple of female names. And I was thinking, oh, it must be like new analysts. No, that was Jared Rivers, his wife and his kids and his family. Yeah. He did that with every coach. So it's not just welcome the new backline coach or a new development coach. Just welcome them, welcome their family. This is what their family's names are. And he, he, he didn't have to look at his piece of paper to remember the names. He knew the names in his head. Yeah. So he that attention to detail, to not miss anyone um, is really, really powerful to me. And then his, the way he sees football really suits me because I see football dif- uh, very similarly in terms of defensive-minded. And obviously him coming from Sydney, um, you know, at Port, we did adapt a similar kind of defensive-minded game. So yeah. I'd kind of been working on that for a number of years. So I felt like, the way we both saw the game was very similar, which made things very, it made things really good for me because when he was a backs coach, you know, we'd, we'd have great discussions about, you know, he, he just asks you what you think. And I think he does that with everything. What do you think about this? What, what, how does that make you feel? What do you, it's not just me and what I think as a coach, it's he wants to learn. He wants to listen and know what other people think about stuff. And then he forms his opinions. Yeah. And yeah, there's been just times where I felt like, you know, part, you know, I remember there was a time he was interim coach and he, um, we both went, we just happened to get a coffee in uh, Perth, I think it was, down in the lobby and it was a bit early. We we hadn't planned to have a sit down or a chat, but he just said, we just did for about 15, 20. And, you know, I think he'd been given the job at that stage. Um, and he was just going through these notes of things he was thinking about implementing going forward and, just what do you reckon? Would you like that? Like, tell me what you would like to see. And then I'd say something, he'd write it down. And I just think he cares about what other people think. Yeah. And creating a culture that everyone has input into. And that's probably something I've, I've always felt like I tried my best and gave my sort of heart and soul when I played and had good ideas, but not all, I didn't always feel like maybe people cared about what you thought or appreciated that stuff. I just feel like he appreciates everyone. And he's, yeah, he's absolutely pumped when he got the job. I, don't, I just can't see how they couldn't have given him the job because everyone probably would have walked out of the door. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even the way, you know, that some of the coaches like, like Scotty and, and you guys in the, doing the women's have um, said it's an open door. You know, he's he loves having a chat and, you know, he was down there for the for the first few women's games, and you know, as a coach, I think, uh, as a club, I think that's a really good thing to have you, the head coach of the AFL team. You know, showing his face and showing that, yeah, this is we're we're one club. This is important, and and I'm here to support support the girls because, you know, they're a part of the club and they they matter to our overall success. So, 
Yeah, I could have bang on all day about him, mate. But um, <laughs> it's just yeah, the, the preseason itself, what him and the other coaches have done in terms of connection and making us a connected team outside of just footy, like um, getting to know each other, breaking down barriers, getting to know each other on a bit of a deeper level. Like the fact that a coach thinks that is valuable, important, it's just like music to my ears because that's what I'm about. I just want to I want to find the purpose beyond just playing on a weekend. It's, it's more than that than just playing on the weekend. That's cool. That's cool. I could listen to you talk about that forever, mate. I really could, but... I'm sure you maybe have to go and cook Gray some dinner or check back into making some electronic music or whatever it is you're going to do. Maybe get a new tattoo or something. Well, I was thinking maybe I'll have to order my own tattoo gun on eBay and start having a go. But I, think, I don't know if that would be a good idea. So, no, we've got, we've got some burgers for tonight, so I think mine might be getting a bit cold, so I better get to it. Mate, I really appreciate the chat. It's such a cool story. So many new insights um, that I've got to know and that people will get to know, obviously, listening to it. Um, you're a ripping fella, and I hope that when all this gets back, you play some really good footy and have a, a long, distinguished career at North. And, and uh, yeah, keep doing your thing, man. Keep being you. It's cool to watch. Thanks, Rox. Absolutely loved it. And, uh, yeah, well done on all of these two. It's I've listened to a few of them and they've been great. You're uh, pretty good at it, I reckon. I appreciate it, mate. It's good fun. It's a good way to good way to stay connected. That's it. All right, mate. All right, mate. Take care. Catch up. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Be sure to share it on all your social platforms or even text an email. And please stay tuned next week for another episode of Hear the Voice. Thanks again.